Welcome to The Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Matt Bernico, your co-host and the number one fan of the Amazon Labor Union. <laughs> I'm Dean Detloff, your other co-host, and I guess I'll be your number two fan of the Amazon Labor Union. <laughs> a close second. We're both big fans, but if we did have to judge, I am slightly a bigger fan. I guess we could be co-number one fans in the same way that we're co-hosts of this podcast. We could be. I didn't even consider it. But uh, I'm willing to share that title with you. Oh, that's so kind. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right, folks. It's all about reconciling <laughs> on this podcast this time around. How's that for what a transition? transition? I know. Incredible. Incredible work. Yep. Uh, not going to pat myself on the back too much, but I am a little, even though it's Lent. Um, <laughs> you know, throughout Lent, we've been talking about all kinds of themes. Fasting, charity, temptation, crucifixion. And I got to tell you, we're running out. <laughs> we're running out of themes. Uh, so you can... If Jesus could get crucified and then come back, I'd really appreciate it <laughs> yeah. because our podcast is running on fumes right now. Oh, you got to get to Holy Week. Yeah, Easter could not come quicker for this podcast specifically. Can't wait to be done <laughs> trying to find these themes. But uh, we did find another one, and it's penance. So I hope you're ready for that. Uh, penance is kind of an old timey word, an old fashioned word, uh, unless you're Catholic, I guess, and you kind of hear it a lot, (laughs) but I mean, (laughs) welcome to the old fashioned church, but basically it means hating your own sin and trying to do whatever it takes to atone or reconcile your actions with someone that you've harmed, um, or trying to, you know, deal with that sin in some interesting ways. And as you could guess, penance has a lot of messed up stuff going on, (laughs) but we're going to try to see if we can think of some cool liberation, social justice ways of, of interpreting that uh, idea in the Christian tradition, either as a sacrament or otherwise in a kind of more general way. Yeah, that's right. You know, and as it turns out, it's actually not that hard to do that type of uh, Christian-y, uh, liberation-y sort of reading of penance. It's actually all kind of just there. And I appreciate that. <laughs> but you do have to think about it a little bit harder. Um, but anyways, like Dean was saying, penance is a type of virtue. Uh, that's a fancy word for acting like you should. Uh, It's a type of virtue that stems out of like a a personal sense of justice. Uh, And I'm not just making that up. I'm taking it from the man himself, Thomas Aquinas. That's right, folks. We're talking about everyone's favorite Tom on this show. The big Uh, ox, as they called him. The big, didn't they call him the big stupid ox or something like that? (laughs) I think so. I think that's true. Um, Yep. So Thomas Aquinas is one of those uh, really important medieval theologians in the Catholic Church. I mean, I think everyone who is a Christian uh, like pays attention to him to some extent. I I don't know. Um, Even at my evangelical school, we talked about Thomas Aquinas quite a bit. So (laughs) there we go. Uh, Thomas Aquinas says this about penance. Penance as a virtue resides in the will since it's a part of the cardinal virtue of justice. It urges the individual to undergo punishment for the sake of repairing the order of justice. When motivated by even an ordinary measure of supernatural charity, it infallibly obtains the forgiveness of venial sins and their temporal punishments. There's a lot going on there, but the important part, at least the part I want to draw attention to, is that uh, penance is something that's connected to justice. And we could read that a few different ways. I mean, you know, there's something very deeply individualistic or maybe not individualistic. There's something deeply introspective about that type of justice, that your life is all in shambles and like (laughs) you're a bad person doing bad things. And maybe you should stop and like, you know, you seek some kind of um, you you seek to repair that in your life um, in, in sort of like an internal spiritual or like moral ethic kind of way. 
but also there's another sense in which like uh there's a bigger picture to it right there's a base and superstructure vibe to it <laughs> that uh when when society is out of whack you can think about penance you can think about reconciliation um and those types of ideas so um I don't know. I think Aquinas uh, here gives us a little bit of a, a head start or a push in the right direction when it comes to penance, right? It's not just about punishing ourselves or something for, like, how bad we are. Um, <laughs> that's a weird way to think about it, maybe. Uh, but Christians love to, I guess. <laughs> but uh, the thing about penance that I think Aquinas at least kind of gives us, or at least the, the direction it sets us, is that there's something, like, deeper there. That uh, you're doing penance because, like, something is wildly wrong in your life or something. There's some kind of atonement that you need to do or some kind of reconciliation you need to find. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that applies internally, introspectively, spiritually, but also I think at the larger uh, societal sense, too. Yeah, I mean, it's a really complicated idea to parse out, right? Because, um, like, the as I said a moment ago, there's a lot of ways that this can get really messed up and very toxic. Totally. And it it's an idea that lives on in lots of other traditions, like in evangelicalism, for instance, uh, there is a lot of this, right? Punishing yourself in order to bring justice to the world is basically <laughs> basically a textbook recipe for evangelicalism. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and it is also politically really toxic, right? The idea that you could... Uh, uh, try to sort of solve the justice problem by taking it all upon yourself and uh, punishing yourself as a means of redemption. I think anybody who's spent a long time in Christianity has probably had to deal with that sort of toxic idea and, and all the yucky stuff that comes along with it. So not here to affirm that piece of it. But I think that it's true, though, that there's something kind of, um, you know, there's something about tying an idea like penance to justice that also makes intuitive sense for me as a person in my world. When I move through a world that is full of injustices, I find that I myself am either contributing to those injustices or am uh, wrapped up in them somehow, or they make me act in ways that I don't like, or I find myself acting in ways that I don't like that kind of reproduce injustices, right? So there's this recognition that sometimes in order to uh, deal with an unjust society, we also have to work on ourselves. And I think that is kind of where I find penance to be still like a really meaningful part of my own spiritual life is to say in working on myself, I'm not uh, beating myself up so that I can save the world or something, but I'm trying to think through the ways that unjust structures have like messed me up and how I can maybe try to create some different sorts of habits that put me back on the <laughs> the path to liberation or something. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, there's the toxic sense of penance that you mentioned a minute ago, which evangelicalism is full of. You know, you uh, whatever you do something bad, you make a, a weird deal with God. You, you're going to read your Bible every day <laughs> and then God <laughs> will forgive you or something. And that's like right. know, bad. There's also a very hollow sense of penance, too, that sometimes comes out in Christianity where it's like, well, OK, you send, say, five Hail Marys and uh, get on with your life or whatever. And and that's, you know, um, not toxic. It's probably not even bad. It's probably not even that harmful <laughs> if you think about it. But it's not the kind of uh, thing that I guess we're talking about here, the, the sense where you're trying to actually, like, figure out what's going on with yourself and um, how to, like, sort of right the wrongs. The, the place in my life where I think this comes out the most is really just being a parent, which is very difficult. Um, if you have kids out there, man, <laughs> just really going through it. But, uh, you know, I think it's such a it's such an interesting place to, like, actually really reflect on your own life and, like, what you're doing. Because you think about, like, 
you know, the ways that your parents may or may have not treated you. And then like you see yourself kind of recreating those, those, like those, <laughs> those patterns with your own child. And you're like, wait a minute, hang, hang on, this is bad. <laughs> and you have to like, kind of like, you know, take steps to undo those things. Um, and, and whether that looks like, um, you know, like self-discipline or something um, or, or whatever, maybe it's penance, maybe it's not the right word or something. But um, anyways, I think that's a, a good way of thinking about it, though, right? We, we want to live in a world that's more just, that's more in line with um, the sense of justice we get out of the Bible from God, from also from like other, you know, types of thinking about the world, like, I don't know, Marxism, for example. <laughs> it's great. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have to be really mindful, I guess, of the ways that we ourselves are reproducing the world that we live in. And, you know, it's worth uh, considering deeply that we are making a better world and not a worse one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, there are so many interesting ways to politically filter this term penance in this tradition as well when we tie it to justice. And I think it's cool to root it in that Aquinas quote, just to recognize that there is something that puts these things together that penance has to do with justice. Um, the the challenge, you know, like there's probably a lot of cool political ways of reading the what happens when you go to confession and you talk to your priest and, and you do get an assignment, right? You got to go home and say the Hail Marys and so on and so forth. Like probably there's a lot of cool things to do about that. I don't know. I, I should probably think about it more, but I don't. <laughs> but <laughs> I think just thinking about penance in general is such an interesting theme. Like, you know, I think about all, all these other sort of political issues like reparations or, um, mm -hmm. you know, what would it mean? Or like carcerality, right? Yeah. Like that's like deeply, I mean, you can't even, you can't even say the word penance without also referencing like right. the, the root of penitentiary, right? Like it's, uh, For sure. it's all tied together. For sure. And so there's kind of maybe those, those dual aspects of the, the concept or like, okay, this is a grad school poll, I guess, but. Uh, Jacques Derrida, a weird French philosopher that you may or may not have heard of, um, he had this uh, interesting sort of concept of the pharmacon, this Greek term that comes up in Plato, where the pharmacon, from which we get the word pharmacy uh, or pharmaceuticals and so on, it can be both the poison and the cure. And I see that a lot in a term like penance, right? <laughs> it can be yeah. both like the thing that leads you to the penitentiary or it can be the kind of thing that leads you to to thinking about reparations or how would I kind of, uh, you know, what would I do in order to make right the things that I've made wrong through sinning? And how would I create a different kind of relationship? And, you know, reparations are one kind of material way of, of expressing at least, you know, on a social kind of way, what that might look yeah. like. Yeah. Um, you brought up Jacques Derrida. Um, it's a grad school poll. <laughs> Welcome to the real deconstruction podcast now. Um, <laughs> but I think that's right. I mean, as someone like Derrida who, who can kind of, you know, notes those things about how penance is an idea that can flip into its opposite. It transfers from something helpful, reordering to something that's like disordering, awful, <laughs> bad for you. It reminds me, I guess, uh, since we're since we're on a kick already, it reminds me of um, this real particular way that uh, these other French philosophers named Deleuze and Guattari <laughs> talk um, talk about something really similar about the ordering of the body. And um, and their particular philosophy has a lot to do with like how do you come to desire the things that you do currently desire? And it's actually not all that different than the way we're talking about um, uh, penance as it's connected to justice, right? Like. There's a handful of things in your life that you want for one reason or another, um, you know, not just like sexual desire or something, but the desire to live a certain life or to be a certain type of person, um, the the deep feelings and like 
uh, affects you get when you're, you know, going about your daily life. Like those are things that you desire. And in, in Deleuze and Guattari, though, they have this way of talking about it where it's like, um, that's great. You should think about those things. You should think about how you how you get those desires. How do you come to desire like wanting uh, a certain type of political democracy or how do people come to desire fascism? Right. These things. But also they recognize, too, that like when you are when you are doing like the internal work, when you're thinking through yourself, when you're thinking about why you want these things and, you know, you're thinking about also like, well, what if you were a different type of person or what if you were, um, I don't know, what if you lived a different type of life? You can also like severely mess yourself up. Right. <laughs> like um, they have a whole lot of very colorful language. I don't actually want to repeat on this podcast to talk about it. <laughs> it's all like really rooted in like um, like sadomasochism and BDSM, which is wild. <laughs> uh, that's some wild postmodern philosophy for you. But I think the point still stands, though, right, that there's like there's a certain order um, that we have in our lives that produce desires that that produce, you know, the type of persons that we are. When those things become wildly disordered or um, they're never ordered in the first place or whatever, however we want to think about that, uh, we end up like wanting things that are bad or reproducing things that are really unhealthy for us. So I, I don't know. I think of penance as at least one of those types of like spiritual technologies that you can use to like put things in place and and what should at least you, you hope you hope to be a good way. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think that is a good way to talk about it. I mean, spiritual technologies, that is what I'm all about. Um, there is, I don't know, now we're just on a philosopher's kick, and I guess that... Let's do uh, it. Well, I mean, it's our <laughs> podcast. No one's stopping us. Yeah, that's right. Welcome to the uh, post-grad humanity seminar, I guess. Um, yeah, so there's a, another German philosopher, Peter Sloterdijk. He is kind of a reactionary um, and very annoying uh, about a lot of things, but I read too much of him for my own good, and he does have this... Uh, actually very interesting idea about religion um, being a set of technologies or things that we use to work on ourselves. He's like that. If you, if you want to know what religions are, the best thing you could think of is kind of that. There are these practices that we engage in either consciously or, or unconsciously in order to change ourselves and then maybe change the world around us also. And it is really bizarre if you think about it, right? Why would you go to mass uh, or any kind of church service. Why, let's let's take maybe a low church example because mass is easy. Why would you go to like an evangelical <laughs> worship service and stand up and listen to Hillsong songs for a few hours and then sit and listen to a pastor stumble through like some commentaries for 40 minutes and then, you know, go to coffee hour after, right? And even in those kind of low church situations, you're you're sort of coming into basically like a big a big greenhouse for producing certain kinds of human beings. And that's why you go. You you want to be changed into a different kind of person. And what I like about penance is that there is this kind of intentionality that's involved in it, that for so much of our spiritual lives, um, all that technology is kind of in the background or it's operating in, I don't know, kind of a subterranean way, and that's what makes it successful. And when it works well, that's that's actually good. You want it to kind of embed in your being, Right. Um, but penance is this moment where you, you take this kind of reflective, uh, auto, auto reflective relationship to yourself and start to say, well, you know, could I sort of create some other habits here? Are there other technologies that I might want to grab like the Hail Mary or something in order to reorient myself? And I think in terms of the spiritual and personal meaning, at least of penance, uh, it's just like a nice moment where you kind of make explicit what is implicit in your life. And I like that a lot about penance. Yeah, totally. I think that's the the switch of the, you know, the implicit becomes the explicit is a really good note. 
thinking of it as a spiritual technology is really helpful because like um i don't know think about all the other technologies that you do use every day that are not like you know explicitly spiritual or something this mm-hmm. is uh, I'm, I'm kind of like swapping out the uh the connotation of technology in this in the sentence but like think about all the other sort of like structures you kind of bring yourself under every day that do form who you are right mm-hmm. and and you do it completely at least I do. I don't know. Maybe you people are out there really <laughs> intentional about it. But, like, it's, like, you know, mostly unintentional. Like, I don't know. I'm laying on my couch and, like, looking at TikTok for, like, 30 minutes or whatever, which is which is exactly what I'm saying, right? It's bringing yourself under a type of uh, discipline or practice that, like, probably does something to you in one way or the other, right? I'm not saying that, like, TikTok is somehow bad for your soul or whatever and you should do penance <laughs> for it. But what I'm saying is that, like, I don't know. Think about... Think about the ways that you uh, have to sort of bring yourself under the the structures and discipline of your work or of your bank or of whatever. Um, and, you know, you only go to church one time a week. So it's like one one clearly has a little more sway over your life. So it's worth really thinking through penance as a type of practice where you could maybe, I don't know, rein some of that in or, or at least be introspective about some of that. Yeah. Well, before we go to maybe like thinking through what some liberation theologians have to say about it. Maybe we could break down a little bit further kind of the, the uses and abuses of penance. Um, we've, we've gestured toward it. It's the, the pharmacon, it's the, it's the poison and cure, all this kind of stuff. But yeah, maybe we could just dig into it a little bit more. Um, I think you're right, Matt, to point out that anytime you talk about penance on the left, you definitely are going to end up talking about the penitentiary. Um, this is kind of, I guess, a bit like abolitionist history 101, but I, I always find it really important to tread that ground over again. Uh, so the penitentiary, as we know it, uh, originates in Quaker ideas about how um, how you should deal with people who are criminals, labeled criminals. And the the premise for the first penitentiaries set up by the Quakers in the United States was that if you were a, a, a criminal or a sinner, you would be locked away in solitary confinement and you would have this opportunity to listen to the divine light inside of you. And uh, you would do your penance on your own because you'd finally have this kind of moment alone with God. And then you would come out, you know, <laughs> a changed, converted person <laughs> feeling way better about your life. And guess what? It doesn't work that way, right? But uh, there's this kind of whole theology behind the way that we've organized uh, our punishment structures um, in the U.S. and then kind of also exported them around the world. And uh, maybe uh, helpful to, to pause at least and kind of think about the, the messed up ways that penance has shaped our social lives. Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, the thing, too, about a penitentiary is like it's a reprieve, right? It's a moment. It's like you're not going to go away for 20 years in in the Quaker sense. Um it's different. <laughs> There's a different vibe to it. Not saying that like uh, it's good or something I would recommend or whatever, but still, um, it's a it's a different vibe than the the um, I don't know the extreme disciplinary technology of like a jail or a prison or something. Mm-hmm. It's true, but the thing that kind of I guess persists is this Christian idea about um, the, the reforming part of it or the kind of redemptive part of it. And this is what is so messed up. I think about carcerality in the United States, especially and in Canada and elsewhere too, but there's this sort of idea that, um, on the one hand, if you go to jail, you're basically garbage or like Angela Davis says, uh, prisons are the place where we put the detritus of society, right? It's like, we're flushing people away. 
Um, but at the same time, the way that we justify prisons to ourselves is to say that uh, people are paying their debt to society or they're going to a rehabilitation center or a correctional facility, right? <laughs> the implication being that they'll be corrected. <laughs> they'll be correct when they come out of it. Uh, and they are not, right? They're, they're uh, traumatized um, by those institutions. Uh, so it's this really kind of strange way in which even that logic of the penitentiary is still present today that we tell ourselves prisons are necessary because we have this kind of comforting lie that, you know, they're going to make you a better person if you go through them. Totally. And and the uh, the myth is so bonkers, though, too, because like uh, people, will, you know, will say it's rehabilitative or, or whatever. Um, or maybe they won't say that. <laughs> but like, you know, there's a sense in which even if you do the time, you still are not a whole person afterwards. Right. Like right. even politically speaking, like in right. most states, you can't even vote, which is, you know, jacked up. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's probably lots of other ways that we can kind of get independence. Like I often think about the kind of stuff you get in critical theory about Christianity and capitalism, the kind of subject that emerges in capitalism. Right. So like we've talked about this, I think, on the show a long time ago, but Herbert Marcuse, who was a German um, philosopher, he wrote this really interesting thing about Luther and Calvin in particular that I always think about where they have this kind of, you know, break from the, the church. But what they end up doing is they move the, the big disciplinary structure from outside to the inside. And that is super convenient for capitalism because then you kind of run around uh, policing yourself. So you can't point to the church out there as like the thing that you're pissed off about and you want to like rise up against and have a re revolution against because you don't like the corrupt bishop who's out there or something. Instead, it's like the corrupt bishop is inside and you you can't really rise up against yourself. And so the the idea is to constantly be like pacifying yourself into a better and better capitalist subject over and over again. And that is also maybe a, a weird way in which like, I don't know, I think about that when I think about penance, too, that uh, there's something about at least the kind of sacramental tradition of penance that I like, because it does kind of externalize the relationship that you have to sin right. and puts you in a relationship with somebody else over it. You know, it can be bad, but it can also be very good as opposed to my own experience in Protestantism, where it was like, you're constantly doing penance and you can never ever actually like atone for what you're trying to sort out. And that is extremely good news for capitalism and very good news for, or very bad news for your psychological health. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I don't know. That's the whole story of church camp, I guess, right? <laughs> For evangelical <laughs> kids is uh, perfecting perfecting the uh, the awful voice in your head that never lets you be like <laughs> an okay person or something. Right. Yeah, um, because uh, Jesus died for you, and here you are doing all kinds of gross stuff. Um, right. Yeah, it's bad. Well, let's let's pivot a little bit, right? Um, so we have we have some of these themes on the table. Um, there's there's penance. In these like sort of bad ways, and when it comes to carcerality, when it comes to the overbearing um, self policing sort of sense, I mean, we could talk about Foucault even, but let's not. We've already mentioned like four <laughs> French philosophers. He's in the mix, though, folks. Don't worry. If he's your fave, we said his name. It's cool. Um, so, but there's all these like senses in which like um, penance and sort of like the the internal disordering or feeling disordered inside, you know. Um, the ways that that can be very toxic for you, right? <laughs> There's also a sense in which it could be very good uh, if if you kind of think about it in, in different terms. Maybe in this 
this Aquinas sense, um, the, the sense where it's like connected to, to justice in in some bigger way. And, and, you know, when we really get into it, I think that like it kind of ends up being a sort of a matter of intensity too, right? Like how far are you willing to go to scrutinize yourself and like all this kind of stuff too. There's a lot going on here, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But there's also a sense in which, um, you know, uh, kind of taking stock of yourself, like I said earlier, like kind of figuring out like why you are the person that you are or figuring out like where your good desires end and bad desires begin or, or something or, or if that's even possible. There's something to that, right? There's something about figuring out the order of things in your life, the order of importance of them, the order of, um, you know, like what you find really valuable or what types of things you're willing to reproduce and maybe what types of things you're willing not to. Um, there is a uh, an interesting um, sort of liberation theology Jesuit who I'm sure, Dean, you could say a lot more about, named John Sabrino, who has some really interesting things to say about this in an essay he wrote called Spirituality and Following Jesus. Um, Dean, do you want to say something about him? Uh, he's great. <laughs> he's great. He, he was a good Jesuit. He's still alive, actually. Um, he wrote quite a lot of interesting stuff. He, um, he's from Barcelona, actually. There's, I don't know, I'm going to get on a tangent, but <laughs> there's a really cool, uh, transmission of, um, priests from Spain to Latin America who then get, like, really wild. And Sabrino is one of them, one of the cool Jesuits out there. He did get, uh, like disciplined by the um the cdf the congregation for the doctrine of the faith in i don't know like the early 2000s or mid 2000s or something but anyway most of his work was in el salvador um he was a cool guy there you go there you have it thank you great Fantastic. great liberation theologian i'm gonna read a little piece of this here that will maybe help us like pivot from or, or make the connection between the individual towards like the societal or the structural the social it's a, it's a connection that needs to be made, though, right? Right, Because I guess the point we want to we bring out in this episode is that penance is something that is internal, that you do yourself, uh, but also it has like maybe some kind of political nature to it, too, that we can draw out here. So John Sabrino writes, Peacemakers are those who have not made the battle itself their ultimate goal, gotten used to it, placed their whole trust in it, or transformed it into a mystique. Positively, they are those who, even in a time of struggle and conflict so inevitable in, in liberation, seek to humanize their conflicts, bring all other means as well to bear on ending them, and through the thick and thin, fostering the reconciliation to come with signs of reconciliation in the present. Those who can forgive are unwilling to close off the future for their adversary or their enemy. They toil for reconciliation in its personal form and in its structural forms, by dialogue, by negotiation. And they posit signs of the same, since without it, no triumph is lasting and no society humane. So um, this is John Sabrino kind of talking about, um, uh, you know, talking talking about these like key sort of Jesus-y types of virtues, like like blessed are the peacemakers and whatnot. Um, but there's something really important here, I think, when it comes to like our pers- like our internal lives and our sort of um, ordering of, of ourselves internally when it comes to reconciliation. Um, and, and I think it's worth drawing out here, that, and, and I think it can help kind of make a connection from one to the other, right? So, like, internally, he's saying if, you, um, if you're if you struggling for liberation, but but the battle itself is not the ultimate goal, right? Fighting is not the whole thing. Um, instead, the whole thing is, you know, seeking liberation, um, something after the battle, right? The conflict is, is fine, but, um, you know, the point is to overcome the conflict. Um, there's a certain sense of being there. 
in the idea where um, you're not closed off to a future, right? You, your internal life is ordered in such a way where there's a future that's possible for you that's not been foreclosed upon. Um, you're not, uh, if, you're, if your internal life is not um, oriented toward like fighting itself, um, that there's still a future after the fighting, uh, that there's a, still a future after the struggle for liberation. And that's kind of the important piece of it here, I guess, because you you get the sense in which your comportment towards the world, the way that you carry yourself into struggle uh, or into, uh, you know, movements of liberation actually really matters. Um, and and that like internal ordering, um, if it's in line with justice, you know, there's a there's a future for you. There's a future that's not just, uh, you know, fighting in a, in a sort of hopeless moment. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, uh, I like that resonance between the the personal and the structural um it makes me think about what i like the most about the the practice of confession which is i think anybody you know when you do something bad (laughs) when you when you say something that you regret or you do something you regret or a kind of situation doesn't go the way you wanted it to or it does go the way you wanted it to and then you are kind of like well my conscience is telling me i shouldn't have wanted that to go that way at all Right. These kind of feelings that like you can't really turn back time, but you know that there's something just off about that. I think uh, it's hard to sort of walk around with them and they can become really stifling, challenging, and they can feel like they're starting to foreclose a future on you that at least for me anyway, like, I don't know, I have OCD, so maybe that's part of it too. But <laughs> you uh, you end up having these kind of feelings, you know, that that uh, create a, a big, thick blanket that you can't get out of. And what's great about the idea of, of confession and penance as a, a sacrament in the church is you you have a, a moment where you go and you talk with somebody else and they kind of validate that, yeah, you feel that way and it's not bizarre that you do. And at the end, they try to give you that future back to you, right, through that act of forgiveness. And to kind of expand that out into a, a social reality, I think, is really neat. And that sort of, uh, how does he put it here, Sabrina? Uh, the, they posit signs of the same, right? Signs of uh, of that future to come to sort of see even that little personal feeling of like having a future return to you as being a, a signal of like the eschatological future that we're all hopefully moving toward. I mean, that's one thing that I've always really valued in the sacrament is like when I feel lighter than everything else feels like more possible in a way yeah. and just helpful to have that institutionalized uh, at least in the Catholic tradition. Yeah, definitely. Like, I don't want to do too much work here, like diagnosing the left in general <laughs> because that's <laughs> dangerous, but like, I don't know, in some very online sections of the left, you see people do, you see, you see the disorderness of their lives or the disorderness, disorderliness of like what people actually want. Like, when people fixate too much on like revenge or um i don't know like like chopping people's off heads off with like the guillotine mm-hmm. or something <laughs> it's like really like i get it like there's sort of a catharsis there that makes sense and like i get why that's like funny or like whatever but on the other hand like if that's what you're after this is fundamentally bad <laughs> right this yeah. is not what you want this is it forecloses a, a type of future that that you could actually have in the world if that's you know really what you want in your sort of deepest um your deepest heart your heart of hearts uh, to be carried guardian i guess um yeah well it's important it's important to think those things through and, and maybe it doesn't work out exactly the same for everybody uh the types of 
desires you have in your own life, they're probably pretty unique or weird or uh, <laughs> uh, unique to you, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But it is good to think through, like, what kind of end do you, like, actually have in sort of your, you know, in your conception of justice and how you think struggle actually works? Like, what does the end look like? Um, and, you know, you can start kind of parsing out your <laughs> your order. I don't know. I don't think I really like the word order ordered or orderliness. Yeah. I think that's actually kind of uh, problematic. Um, but, you know, you know, what I, you know what I mean, though, I guess there's like a, mm -hmm. a sense in which like you can want things that are good or you can want things that like warp you inside. And that's mm -hmm. that's bad. <laughs> right. No, I totally agree. I mean, I think that, well, you know, there's that, there's that famous quote from Marx, uh, when our term comes that will make no excuse for the terror. Yeah. Um, Can people stop saying that, though? Yeah. Well, it's like, I get it. <laughs> I get it because totally. Marx is writing in the context of, you know, the crushing of the, the Paris Commune and all that kind of stuff. And, and it makes a lot of sense. He's surrounded by, you know, the dead bodies of his friends and, and good revolutionaries and all this kind of stuff. I get it. But at the same time, you know, my mind always goes to the Sandinistas, which is like uh, they chose a different path. They abolished the death penalty um, right away and decided to do something different. And I mean, it's that revolutionary forgiveness that we talked about uh, maybe like a month or two ago that there's a different way of uh, putting a society back together and a different way of dealing with those social sins or social traumas. And uh, yeah, penance and reconciliation are all kind of bound up in that. It's like working on yourself even enough to understand that, like, even a justifiable rage or anguish um, can kind of, you know, suck you up from the inside and make you into somebody that you probably don't want to be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's such a hard it's such a hard line because on the one hand, like um, that type of rhetoric is important. Right? It's important for people to really express themselves. It's important for people to like have a moment of catharsis to be even hyperbolic um, or even mean it, I guess. Yeah. But um, but there is a certain sense in which like it go it goes kind of too far. Not like the the saying it isn't isn't the hard part. Saying it isn't the part that's necessarily bad, but like letting that type of like idea warp your insides so that you could actually never be happy <laughs> that you could never stop fighting or something. That's the bad part. Desiring it is really bad. Uh, saying it right, is right. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a, uh, I don't know. We're just quoting a bunch of people tonight, but there's that, um, Brecht poem about, uh, you know, we, uh, kind of, it's like to those who come after is one of the translated titles, but, um, it's a really famous poem. You should go read all of it. It's all very good. But the gist of the poem is basically like, you know, the sort of addressing people in the future who are living in a social society from the perspective of someone like Brecht, who is, you know, in the 20th century, in in the worst of the worst of it, trying to think it through. And the kind of thrust of the poem is to say we've been doing all this hard work. And like there's a line where he says something like, um, uh, those of us who wanted to make the world pure could not ourselves be pure or something like that, yeah. right? Like, there's this kind of recognition that the struggle will uh, mess you up, and that is important to figure out as well, to attend to that and not just, like, write it off. Yeah, totally. That's exactly right. Uh, people people who, like, are formed in the revolution, I think, have a... <laughs> there's a sort of difficulty to figure out what comes next. Um, to, to leave the mentality of war or something is hard. Mm -hmm. Well, in, in all of this, what we're talking about, though, I guess when it comes to penance and reconciliation and 
forgiveness and all these kinds of big, big ideas, it kind of comes down to a certain sense of sin, which is tough. <laughs> We've never, maybe we should have done an episode on sin. I didn't even think about it. <laughs> but I guess this is kind of, I mean, implicitly about that in some different ways. Um, but, you know, that when you're, when you are reorganizing your life or when you're trying to think through some of these big topics that like we're talking about here, I, mean, I guess that's primarily kind of like what you're thinking about, right? Sin is uh, independence, like we said at the top of the episode. You're, you're seeking penance from sin. You're trying to get yourself away from these things that you've done that are wrong. And in a certain way, sin feels kind of like a immature type of language to use when it comes to some of this because, I don't know, uh, maybe I'm just biased or something. But it seems like sin is such a – it doesn't quite encapsulate all of, like, the, the weird ways, like, the very passive ways that uh, a capitalist political economy forces you to act towards other people. But, I mean, at the end, at the, end of the day, I think sin is right um, – Maybe sometimes people say structural sin or something like that, and I think that's pretty good too. Social sin, whatever. Social sin, I think, actually has weird anti-LGBTQ um, <laughs> stuff to it, so maybe not that one. But structural sin. Well, I'm going to read another quote from Victor Codina from uh, an essay he wrote called Sacraments. Uh, this actually comes from uh, this this big liberation theologian sort of reader. Dean, what's the name of the book called? Systematic something? Uh, Systematic Theology. Yeah, it's the same one we were reading from with uh, the A.A. Curious stuff last, yeah. last time around. It's kind of like the greatest hits of liberation theology. There's a lot of good stuff in this book. <laughs> yeah. um, anyways, I'm going to read this this bit here quickly to kind of get into maybe the sin aspect of it and the reconciliation aspect of it a bit more. Um, some, big, some big ideas for sure. But I, I think it helps kind of draw some of this together. So Codina is... Um, he starts off here quoting um, Oscar Romero. Archbishop Romero's definition of sin is paradigmatic. Sin is what killed the Son of God and what kills the children of God. It follows that conversion must not only be personal, but also social, historical, and structural. Reconciliation with the church must be oriented to undoing the consequence of personal and social sin, to taking away the sin of the world, following the way of Jesus. That's in John one twenty nine, where that quote just actually comes from. In penance, the church prophetically announces God's mercy, denounces the sin of the world, and initiates its transformation by communicating the spirit of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. So um, I think this is actually a pretty helpful way of thinking about it. You know, there's a lot of nuance to these things <laughs> when, it, when it comes from things that are um, incredibly introspective and personal, but also um, wide-ranging and structural <laughs> and societal. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of nuance to be lost, I think, for sure. <laughs> in these kinds of uh, these kinds of quotes but um i think that drawing those two things can, together uh no matter how nuanced they are is actually really helpful uh sin is the thing that kills that kills jesus it's the thing that kills all kinds of people like we talked about last week it, it doesn't just crucify jesus it crucifies all kinds of people right so that our con our conversion it can't just be with ourselves it can't just be a thing that we do um, our penance can't just be a sort of reordering of our own souls our own in internal lives but it has to be something that's larger than that structural um, historical he even says which is pretty cool mm -hmm. um, but I think that helps maybe draw some of this out right like in and not only not only can like our our penance not just be personal um, and our reconciliation not just be personal. It has to be structural, but it recognizes too that like the the personal the personal penance, the personal uh, reconciliation you might need to do is also structural reconciliation that you might need to do, right? Like the uh, that you live in a world where you can't help but um, rely on the exploitation of labor of other people is is something that is like a personal sin that we all kind of have to deal with in one way or the other. 
um, but it's also something that's happening historically, that's happening structurally. It's it's a bigger problem than just, you know, as it appears in our life. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, this is what liberation theology is good at, is kind of drawing out these two things. Like Kadena summarizes it in this essay elsewhere, saying uh, what theology of liberation emphasizes is that neither sin nor reconciliation is purely intra-ecclesial. Sin wounds the ecclesial body, but it possesses a dynamic of death that affects society and history, structures of sin. Sin kills the life of personal and ecclesial grace, and it also kills the brother or sister. And that kind of emphasis on uh, understanding that the spiritual material are not, you know, neatly separated is, I think, really good. Um, He goes on to say, in contrast, this new horizon of the kingdom must from time to time encourage the church as a community to seek the forgiveness of God and the world for its collective sins in the past, uh, the colonial period, he puts in parentheses, and in the presence, its alliance with the powerful. As servant of Yahweh, the church must bear the sin of the world, intercede for sinners, and anticipate liberation. And I think that is also a huge piece too, right? That like, there's a collective kind of component to this. And I mean, I can't really help but think of uh, just today when we're recording this is the day that Pope Francis made an apology for uh, colonialism in Canada to a delegation of indigenous people in the Vatican and watching some of the responses to that has been very interesting. Like, um, it, you know, pretty much everybody is like, it should have happened a long time ago. Uh, it's all too late, but like some people say it's, it's a a big weight off. Others are like, yeah, I want more and all this kind of stuff. But the biggest sort of issue, at least for me as a person observing it is like, I don't know what's going to be the material consequence of this. What's the penance that follows after the confession, you know, and uh, that kind of piece that Kadena puts out here that we have to seek forgiveness of both God and the world (laughs) for our own sins is a a really important part of that as well. Yeah, that's right. Well, on that on that point, I think it's good to, to draw that out, Dean, right? Like, what are the material consequences? What does the penance actually look like, you know, following the the pope, you know, making a, a statement? That's a good question. Um, James Cohn actually asks something pretty similar in the book, God of the Oppressed. And we're just kind of skipping from quote to quote today. That's fine. (laughs) Whatever. Um, anyways, James Cohn says this, there can be no reconciliation with God unless the hungry are fed, the sick are healed and justice is given to the poor. The justified person is at once the sanctified person, one who knows that his or her freedoms is inseparable from the liberation of the weak and the helpless. Um, so I guess there's this that that's it, right? Like um, that reconciliation, uh, that that doing the penance in, in your own life, you know, both personally and structurally, it means doing something differently. Um, and, you know, maybe that begins internally, introspectively, spiritually. Maybe it begins somewhere else and you work your way a different direction. But I think either way, it does end up meaning, you know, changing your actions, changing the patterns of exploitation in the world. And figuring out how to, you know, ultimately um, liberate everyone. (laughs) But that's the big (laughs) picture, I suppose. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, I think, too, everybody has to deal with this problem because we live in a world that is propped up by exploitation. Right. But, you know, Christians have maybe a unique sort of piece of this in terms of trying to understand our own relationship to our spiritual life and to the idea that God is a liberator and so on. And it's kind of like, how would you reconcile with a God who is a liberator? Because God is basically pissed <laughs> until, <laughs> until there's no oppression. Right. And that means that we're also, again, just caught up in those structural sins. And it's like, what does it mean for me as a settler Catholic in Canada 
to hear that the Pope made this apology, but also, you know, the church has totally failed, like dropped the ball to raise money that it promised for indigenous communities. Like, what am I supposed to do with the fact that the church has a lot of property on unceded indigenous land, all these kinds of things, right? Like, uh, what does the penance really amount to? What is reconciling both with the indigenous communities themselves and with like the God who is a liberator? What does that really look like? And I think it's important to kind of just allow the tension to exist between understanding that you personally cannot save the world, um, but also like you personally are wrapped up in these, you know, complicated and frustrating ways in a world that is very deeply sinful. Yeah, that's right. You know, this is... <laughs> This all makes me think of something. Uh, I think this is an Amos, uh, one of, you know, one of the prophets in the Old Testament. Amos is talking about like all these things that are going on in the world, right? There's all these people. They're uh, political people. They take they take bribes, they exploit people, um, all these kinds of things. You, you take a straw a straw tax on the poor, which is always the one I remember. I don't even know what that really means, but uh, <laughs> people were doing it, and the, Amos was not pleased by it. But then there's this part later in Amos that's talking about um, what the what God wants is is for wailing in the streets, right? That he wants uh, God wants people out in the public squares to be like screaming and pissed off and like really annoyed and mad, right? And it's only when that happens when God will start paying attention to people <laughs> or paying attention to mm-hmm. suffering. And I think that that's a really important part of reconciliation and and penance and like changing the actions of your life because like. You know, are we actually it's such a maybe it's such a weird thing to think about, though, but like we've become a people, uh, broadly speaking, very passive to injustice. And like we live in a world where like, you know, it it, it necessitates that some people go hungry and it necessitates that people are exploited and necessitates a whole lot of people like have to live a really awful life just to create like a sort of like luxurious situation for the very wealthy. And um, in at least Amos, uh, God kind of demands people to wail, to be pissed off about it. And maybe there's something to that, right? Like become unpassive to this world, to uh, structure your inner life, to really feel the struggles of other people or something. Mm -hmm. I guess in the end, that seems like an important piece to me, though, where like you you change your internal life uh, so that you can't accept the external world in the way that it is Mm -hmm. anymore. Yeah, I think that is a good way to put it, right? Like um, that's also maybe what helps understand the the purpose of penance because it's like i don't know i interact with a lot of people who were very traumatized by evangelicalism in particular because of my you know friend group and (laughs) and history and so on and uh i think that it's like we like we don't talk about penance very much like those kinds of things right because it's it's triggering and it makes complete sense to me like why they don't need that and it's just gonna make them upset and all that kind of stuff but like and not to i'm not like being condescending by that being like, I know the, the deep truth and they don't, and they can't handle it or anything. It's just but for like, real though. You know, it's jacked up. Yeah. It's bad. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's messed up. Exactly. Um, and, uh, anyway, uh, I think what I find useful though, or, or what has made me want to explore penance, even in the midst of all that kind of messed up stuff is that at the end of the day, I do think that done, you know, with with all the conditions being right, <laughs> a rare situation, but one that does sometimes exist. Uh, it The idea is that it should release you back into the world ready to do something right. Like it should kind of lift the burden that you feel. Um, it's not there to make you like dwell in your sin or make you kind of relive it or, or be traumatized by it. But on, on the contrary, it's it's meant to give you this kind of, um, yeah, like I said earlier, this this uh, glimpse of 
kind of that eschatological feeling of being light on your feet and and ready and, and capable. It's like it's a it's a capacity giving sacrament in a way that I think is really transformative. So trying to see what are the fruits of that in a social sense, like that is uh, maybe a, a key component to try to figure out if you're, if you're going to know that they're Christian by their fruits and so on. Um, what is it like to be a person who has gone through a sacrament called reconciliation when you believe that God is a liberator? Like that is an interesting question to keep asking. Okay. So at the end of the day here, I guess here's where we're at. Penance is one of those tough and weird Christian virtues that I think we don't really know what to do with. Um, and hopefully after listening to us talk for 45 minutes, you maybe have some kind of idea or at least uh, a way to think about it. But at the end of the day here, I think on this podcast, what we're saying is that penance is a type of recognition that we are bound up in the structures of sin of the world, you know, internally, externally, all of it. We're we're deeply ingrained in it. And there's like, you know, that's just sort of like the nature of being a human person in the world right now. Um, and while like there's the the big picture base and superstructure kind of thing going on, it's important to change that for sure. We got to we got to change it. We got to seize the means of production. I'm here to say that. Um, but we also have to recognize the ways that we are also perpetuating those structures of sin, like in our own lives, not in just like our not just in the ways that like we consume and we are we like you know are sucked into a capitalist system there's like nothing we can really do about that um but also in the ways that we recreate um bad types of relationships with other people the ways that we um you know reduce reduce the humanity of other people um uh, all kinds of things to uh to consider and and the ways that we can work those things out for ourselves yeah no i think that's good i mean maybe one way of sort of putting it to is like uh, penance is a way of recognizing when you've been uncomradely and trying to make you have the tools so that you can be a better comrade, yeah. right? In one way or that's the good. other. Uh, maybe that's the way I'm going to start thinking about it for the rest of the line. Pretty good. Thanks for listening to the Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Magnificast, where you can join a Discord where there's all kinds of great pictures of dogs and cats. And uh, just a lot going on in that Discord. A lot of recipes lately. Um, it's a fun place to be. We do another podcast there every once in a while, a little less regularly today, but who knows? Maybe after Lent it'll change. Uh, uh, maybe if we get a good penance where we have to do more podcasts. A penance where um, we can sleep a little and bit more? It I don't about, know, man. I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it's about current events and, and goofs and jokes, and it's a fun podcast to do. Um, let's see. Our music is by Amaria Armstrong, and our outro is by the Illogical Spoon. We'll see you next week. I don't want to get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth, and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation. Never get tired, never bored. Don't worry, someday there'll be no dam between us and our Lord. Jackson, keep your hoods up. Keep your hoods up, and you stay up late. Jackson, keep your hoods up. Well, you keep your hoods up and you stay up late. Oh, don't mind a cold night, but we might mind if you leave too soon. So come on now, it's still early. 
Peace out, what up?